0: they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially, no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
1: Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is another first for One Minute Remaining, as I speak with not one, but two incarcerated individuals. Two men who were convicted for the same murder. Two men who were just boys when they were sentenced to 35 years in prison.
2: My name is Jeremy Kane. I was convicted of murder in 2002, March 8th. The crime happened in 2001. I was 16.
1: I've got a 35 year sentence and I've done it right around 22 years. Two boys that are, in fact, brothers.
3: My name is Zachary Kane. I was convicted of murder at the age of 15, sentenced to 35 years, and I've done 21 years on that 35 years now, and i yep. still
1: counting. One brother says he is innocent of any wrongdoing in this crime, and the other, who fully admits to striking a man which led to his death. However, they both say this was self-defence. Zachary Cain cried in Mark Harper's lap and Jeremy Kane fell face down to the floor when the jury found Friday that the three teenagers had murdered grocer Jimmy Hill. Upon making their verdict, deputies whisked away tearful jurors after the courtroom was cleared. Mum, don't leave. Please don't leave. Jeremy Kane cried out after the jury forewoman read the verdict. Does this mean we still have to go to jail? Zachary Kane asked his lawyer. I'm not going to jail. They're going to have to shoot me. I'm not going to jail. The boys' families wailed in grief several shouting, I love you, as the convicted murderers were led in handcuffs into the judges' chambers. These are the words of news staff writer Robert Gordon, as he wrote the accounts of what happened in 2002 when three teenage boys were found guilty of murder. It's a murder all three boys have always maintained was in self-defence. Zachary Kane, the youngest of the three, would be the one to strike the fatal blows... Something he said was never intentional and was only meant to stop the man they say was attacking them. In this story, we will hear from three of the boys that were there that day. Jeremy Kane, Zachary Kane and Mark Harper. The Kane brothers are still incarcerated for this crime today while Mark Harper would be released after serving just three years. The reason for which we will get to later. I got a message one day via the One Minute Remaining Facebook page from a young lady asking if I'd take a look at a case involving her two cousins. Along with the message, she sent an image from the front page of a Saturday newspaper from March 9th of 2002. The headline reads, Three Teens Guilty of Murder. There, on the front page, are three boys, all around the same age as I was back in 2002, all looking terrified, about what is about to happen next as they look to be sent to an adult prison after being found guilty of murder. It's an experience we'll talk about later. The story of the Kane brothers takes place in the south, in a city called Pleasant Grove in the state of Alabama. With a population of just under 10,000 people, it's a small community. Pleasant Grove is described as a harmonious suburb nestled in the western realms of Jefferson County, known affectionately as the Good Neighbour City. However, in 2002, it would be the focal point for a long running feud that would end in disaster, with one man dead and four teenage boys arrested for murder. Amanda Kane, the wife of Jeremy Kane, would contact me next, and it would be Jeremy who I'd speak with first. He and his brother, Zach, have only ever served time together for a short period in the same facility and otherwise have been separated. Jeremy talked me through life growing up in Alabama.
2: Growing up, uh, my dad built the house he lived in in 1984, the year I was born. I lived in the same house. It's a log cabin from the time I was born until I come to prison. Um, uh, I'll tell you, my family's probably middle class, lower middle class. My dad I grew up my dad working, driving trucks, working construction, that kind of thing. My mom didn't work initially until we got in school. And I have, uh, I have two brothers also. One brother's on the, on the case with me. He was 15 at the time of this, And then I have an older brother. Let's see, I'm 39. He's 42. We all live in the same house. We all went to the same school, Father Grove Elementary School, then Father Grove Middle School, Father Grove High School. Uh, my older brother graduated. Uh, we didn't graduate. We ended up in Colorado before we were out before we finished school. Grew up playing baseball my whole life, from T ball up through all the way to, I think I was about 14 when I stopped playing. Um, then, um, I mean, school, I met all ladies in school. Um, really good grade. Family life, really good. My uh, parents, both parents still married. They're married today. Um, family life went really well. There's nothing, you know, nothing really there that would, you know, see me finding myself in prison because I had a bad family life or anything. Nothing, nothing like that. Here's
1: the boy's father, Stephen Kane. They're all good kids. I mean, not, there was nothing out of the ordinary
4: with any of them. We didn't really hunt. We fished. We rode four wheelers. We you know, that was after the fact. But I mean, even little kids and everything, they went to school every day just like a normal kid. And there was nothing really stand out about any of them that was, you know, any kind of a problem or anything like that. They made good grades in school.
3: They're
4: yeah. just normal. I mean, they. Both worked Jeremy was working I think right before this happened. Zachary was trying to get a job, but you know because he's only 15 and uh, they worked to make money to you know Jeremy had paid some on his car on his truck and then Zachary had sold his four wheeler and put the money up to get his to get a vehicle.
1: family life was was pretty I mean cookie cutter, happy family, you had a good relationship yeah. with your parents. you were close with your brothers.
2: Yes. Yeah. We were all close. My older brother, he, you know, he's a few years older. So we weren't, we were still close just as far as, you know, being a three year age difference at that age, you know, it was a little different situation, but, um, you know, different friends and stuff. And then my, my older brother had a little, little bit of a learning disability as growing up. So, you know, he didn't, he didn't make as many friends as easily as me and my younger brother did, but yeah, overall, yeah. I mean, it's normal, all holidays and stuff, you know, families were together, grandparents and cousins and, uh, my mom's side of the family, you know, we, we were all really close. All my first cousins and uh, some second and third cousins and every, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. We were always together. So everything, you know, everything was really good. I mean, I was set sort of straight A's in school, 4.0 GPA. I don't know, you know, how that works over there. But good grades, 4.0, you know, straight A's, you know, good grades. Um, was accepted. So, uh, well, was in the process of going to Auburn, going to college, I was going to graduate early. From high school to go to college early, I was only about about a month from graduating, and I would have been a year early. I um, was going to start college a year early, and just happened. So I was one subject short of graduating. I actually dropped out of public school and homeschooled so that I could graduate a year early. I'd already passed all my exit exams and everything in school I had enough credits and started homeschooling so that I could graduate early and go to college.
1: And what were your plans for the future? Did you have a career in mind, or? Mechanical or civil engineering.
2: I was really good at math, so I was going to go to Auburn University, which is a uh, you know an engineering type school. Um, agricultural engineering is kind of like what they what they go for, and that's that's where I was going to go to school and try to make a career in
1: some type of engineering field. Did you ever get in trouble with police when you were young? No, I've never been arrested for anything or been in trouble with police other than this one incident. And what about your your brother, the one who's on this case with you?
2: He didn't get any trouble, anything with police. I mean. Nothing like that, no rest or anything. Uh, so he still made, you know, average grades, or maybe a little above average. So, I mean, he still he did, did well. Um, but I mean, of course, he probably had the same goals as, you know, going to college and stuff, too, after he finished school. But overall, I mean, everything was, you know, fine with him also. It was just normal, normal life.
0: Hello, this is a call from... An incarcerated individual at Alabama Department of Corrections. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. You may start the conversation now. Zach.
1: Yes, sir. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, sir. What about yourself? All things considering, of course. Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I don't know if they've ex- anyone's explained sort of what I do or anything like that. Yeah, go ahead. In 2002, at 15... I arrived in Australia with my family. Nervous, unsure, slightly scared about what the future would hold in a country where I knew no one apart from my own family. Thousands of miles away, there was another 15-year-old dealing with fear, uncertainty and anxiety. Although this 15-year-old wasn't looking at a new life in a different country, this 15-year-old was looking at 35 years in a men's prison. Zachary Kane was the youngest of the three boys convicted of murder, back in 2002. Life. I've spoken to to Jeremy about life with your family and your father, and they've sort of both exactly said exactly the same. That you know, life as uh, when you were younger and as kids was kind of almost a cookie cutter type situation. Everything was there was no trauma in your lives, no uh, alcohol abuse or anything like that. It was just a normal family, normal American family, just doing life.
3: Yes, sir. I. I never had any kind of drug or alcohol problems Even now, I still don't Even back then, I definitely didn't My family didn't My mom and dad's never drank When I was growing up They just worked every day to take care of
1: us (laughs) And what about school for you? What was school like for you?
3: I was great I mean, it was, you know, ups and downs But it was, for for the most part, I never had any trouble As far as, like, dealing with, interacting with other children And stuff like that I never had problems like that I'm not saying I was in the cool crowd or the uncool crowd I was just there (laughs) Like, I got along with everybody Yeah I made A's and B's for the most part, everything in mean, I, I was good in school. I actually got my high school diploma in prison. I finished, uh, not GED, I got my high school diploma. And passed and got, uh, I think I made like the president's list or something, I made all A's. I actually had block schedule classes in prison. So.
1: Did you have any concerns over anyone they were hanging out with? Or was everyone just, you know, a pretty good group?
4: Well, Zachary had been dating this girl for a long time. So he really was involved with her. You know, uh, right, bef- right before this happened, they broke up. Probably three weeks before this happened. Jeremy had different friends from Zachary because, the, you know, even though there's just an the age of a year, you know, they're still not the same friends. Of course, uh, yeah. Zachary more had a girlfriend. Zach Jeremy had... Friends, you know, from different ways. I mean, he had Chris and he had other friends. And Zachary had, once he broke up with this girl, he started hanging around with Mark a little bit. And that would, you know, I don't know what of the friends he had. He had friends too, but not as many as
1: Jeremy did. What did you know about Mark himself? Did you know much about him? He didn't know a thing about that boy. So, talk to me about when you first met Mark, Obviously, he was one of the co defendants in this case. Yeah,
3: well, we grew up together. We were in the same grade. It was cool for a little while when I was younger, and then I got with this girl from 12 to right before I caught this case. I broke up with her and started about hanging out with Mark. He had a car, so we're riding around and doing stuff, you know, just like kids do. We don't, it wasn't nothing out of the ordinary, nothing crazy. It was just go to the park, go hang out here, go hang out at these little house parties, you know, just little. It wasn't even no drinking. It's just everybody was hanging out, go to church and stuff like that. And then a month later after hanging out with him, this stuff starts happening which he was having problems with this dude, and I just got kind of pulled into the middle of it. Went out with this guy. It was really the guy's stepson and his stepdaughter, which I don't think he really cared about the stepdaughter. I'm not sure. I'm not one to comment on that. I don't know. I just, it was, that's what led up to it, because Mark was giving the stepdaughter rise home from school and pretty much was mean to her later on, and some stuff had happened between them or whatever, and... You know, he was like, no, we're not going to be boyfriend and girlfriend. The
2: girl come up to him and kind of talk to him, and he kind of shunned her like he didn't know her because he didn't want people knowing he'd been talking to her. And she got mad because I guess she was kind of like the a, a girl in school that wasn't, he was more, kind of more popular and didn't really want people knowing know he'd been talking to this girl that wasn't, I guess, as popular as he was or whatever. So she got kind of mad at him and told her brother, which was like 19, I believe, at the time, that he had like, cussed her out or something and been mean to her. From my understanding, he didn't do anything like that other than ignore her. That was kind of mean, but I don't think he, like, cussed her out or did anything to her physical or anything. Just kind of shunned her. And she got mad and told her older brother. And, and
3: stuff left from there, and her brother started trying to jump on Mark. All this stuff was, like I said, was escalating before I started back hanging out with him, because I'd only been hanging out with him like, like a month and a month and a half, and I'm just stuck in the
1: middle of it. This essentially just sounds like normal stupid teenage kid stuff. Mark Harper spent some time with a girl and then decided he doesn't want anyone knowing that they've been hanging out and chooses to ignore her and play the I don't know you card. This has upset the young teenage girl who then goes to her big brother and the big brother wants to defend his little sister. So the issues start and would escalate between Mark and the old brother. The brother and sister in this story come from a supposedly well-connected family in town. It's a family that owns the Hills Foodland Supermarket. It's in fact the only supermarket in the area of Pleasant Grove. You know, Jeremy's told me that they had this grocery store in town or this sort of shop situation and they were quite well-known as being, you know, rather influential in town, is that right?
4: That's right. They they basically are the only grocery store in that community that has stood there ever since I was a kid, and I'm 64 years old now, and, and it's still there. 60-some-odd years. Uh, probably probably 100 years by now. I don't know how long that store's been there. I know I worked at it when I was 14 years old. Yep. Made a dollar and 65 cents an hour, I think. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Getting rich quick, wasn't I?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Retire on that, that's for sure. So this fighting... And tension between Mark Harper and the 19-year-old brother of the girl he's brushed off would escalate. And they'd have another altercation outside the food land where Mark's car would be damaged.
2: Uh, sometime the next day or two, um, he ran into this girl's brother um, and the kid jumped in his car window and punched him and, I like, kicked a couple dents in his car to jump in a truck and kick off and run off or something like that.
3: Yeah, Mark was having problems with his guy's stepson. They'd try to fight a couple of times, and I got involved with it once because Mark's hand was broke. I didn't get to fight with nobody. I just thought to go back in the store. The stepson, I was like, I get the hell on, man. Like, stop, you know, and I'm out it cuss back then, I probably said, "Man, I mean, he'd go on somewhere, you know, and he uh, went went talking crazy, and, and that's when he jumped in the window where Mark was driving by the store. He jumped in the window and went to punch Mark and kicked the side of his car. So they paid for that. They paid for the damages his uncle did to do. Uh, the guy that got killed's brother paid for the damages because he was the manager at the store also.
2: When that happened, Mark's dad went to the grocery store that the family owned and to try to talk to the kid's dad to explain what happened to his car and try to get it fixed and that kind of thing. And the kid's dad or his kid's stepdad worked there also, which was the family, their name last name was Hill, And the Hill family owned the grocery store. The man that died, his name was Jimmy Hill. He worked at the store, I think he was worked in the back as a some type of meat department manager or something. But he went there and he talked to the head manager of the store, his name was Johnny Hill, and was explaining to him what was going on. He said, Well look, I will talk with his dad and talk to him and try to you know, fix all the problems, and we'll get your car fixed and the damages he caused to your car, blah, blah, blah. And then from, from later on that afternoon, he came over to the man's house, Mark Harper's uh, daddy's in his house, and spoke with him and, and told him that, look, I talked to the kid, I talked to his dad. He didn't want him to stop, but I told him to leave it alone. He said he don't want to have any control over the kid, but he's still going to get to fix the car fixed. His dad was going to pay for the car or, or whatever. And then sometime within a day or two after that, there was an incident at the grocery store where my brother and Mark went up to the store because the stepson also worked at that store and they were trying to fight Mark and he wanted to fight the stepkid for damaging his car or making him look bad, whatever. I don't know what he was trying to prove, but that's what they went up there for. When they went up there, his stepdad, Jimmy Hill, came out of Vermont and he came out of the grocery store and with the screaming obscenities and just talking crazy to the kids to them, like you know, you punk ass kids. I'll kick their ass, get the hell out of here, blah blah blah. Run up on them and kind of shoved them a little bit, and they left. So that was probably a week or two before this happened.
1: So we're going to take a deeper look into this man who had become the victim in this case, Jimmy Hill, a little bit later on, as he does have a colourful past. But for now it would seem this was the very first time that Jimmy Hill would get himself involved in the situation between the teenagers.
3: There was a big thing out in the middle of the parking lot and me and Mark was on a double date with these two girls. We kept getting called on the phone to come to the store, come to the store. So Mark was like, yeah, let's go. Finally made it over there and when we got to the parking lot, it was supposed to be Mark fighting the do Stepson. But then the guy comes out there and goes to raising hell and saying all kinds of stuff. What's your little punk? And he's cussing and screaming and he—I mean—he's saying all kinds of stuff. So I'm a, I about making us—I really want to say some of the stuff he was saying. If anybody's gonna hear me saying this, because I mean, it's pretty it's vulgar the things he was saying and what he was gonna do to us and all this stuff. Just stuff I've never heard in my life and well, until I come to prison, I hear it all the time. You know, yeah. you hear the stuff out there and it's like, oh my God, what's wrong with this guy? And then in here, it's like people call it janking and they're just talking shit, you know, and it's not nothing. It's just talking. But to him, it seemed for real to a 15 year old kid. Me, I'm scared to death. I mean, it's a 42 year old man. And then somebody in the parking lot said the police come, so we all left. Then the police showed up and patted everybody down the they tried to say somebody had a knife. Ain't nobody have no knife. Ain't nobody have no kind of weapons or anything. I don't even know. That's just the guys. He, he's used to dealing with the police, so he knows what to say to them. I'm, I'm assuming. I might be wrong. But he knows what to say to them to get them on us.
2: Now, all this previous stuff that happened, I wasn't involved in. I, the stuff that happened at the grocery store, I arrived there right as they were leaving, and I went to a park where kids hung out at, and, you know, asked, what's going on? And they kind of, I heard a little about what was going on, like, God, whatever. And I left and went off with my girlfriend or whatever I was doing. It wasn't no big deal. It had nothing to do with me. So then, like I said, about a week or two goes by, and I think there were some other things that happened in that time period, um, not with the man that died, but with the stepson or something, maybe another incident, I'm not really sure.
3: We went over to our friend Jesse's house. I still, I don't even know where this guy lives. I still didn't know where this guy lived. Even to the day that this stuff happened, I did not know this guy lived where he lived. But my friend, Jesse Keaton, he lived on the, like if you're coming around this curve, it's a, it's a block, okay? So it's a square. And he lived right here on the corner. So that night, this is the night before, we pulled up at his house, and go going to pick him up, and he wasn't there that night. So we circled the block. When we come around the block, a truck blocks off Mark's car. So when he blocks off the car, dude jumps out the passenger seat and comes running towards the car and starts punching Mark in the face. So Mark's rolling backwards. I jump out the car and he takes off running back to the truck, then this big old guy gets out. This is the stepson that jumped on Mark through the window. This big old guy gets out from the other side and said, Don't come any closer. So I just stop. You know, I don't know what he's got behind the door, I don't know what he's doing. He's just standing behind his truck door, but he's huge. I mean six five, he looks huge. Then I'm looking uphill, so it's like, Okay, I'm hey, whatever, man, let's go. We get in the car, and we leave. So it wasn't, we really didn't say nothing else about it. So the next day, we was hanging out with two girls, and my brother came over there. He got us away from there, so we're going to go to the batting cages for practice. Uh, Mark's got a softball game with his church. My brother come and got us from these two girls' house because they didn't want Mark around her.
2: I got up about 9 o'clock that morning. I went over to a friend of mine's house. His name was Chris Stano. I go to his house and he's cutting his neighbor's grass and we're, I'm waiting on him to get done. We're gonna go get something to eat. And while I'm waiting on him to get through, I get a call from another friend of mine and he said, "Hey, remember uh, what you got going on?" I was like, "Well, I'm just finishing." I was like, "Oh, good." I was like, "What's up?" He said, "Well, I need you to go down to his girlfriend, the Times' house." He's like, "Can you go to LB's house? She lived about I don't know a block or two down the street." And said, "Can you go over there? Your brother and Mark's there, and can you get them to leave?" And I was like, "Well, why?" And he said, "Well," He was at work, working at a hardware store. He was 17 years old. His girlfriend at the time was 15. It was his first girlfriend, and he knew that in the past she had liked my brother's friend, Mark. So he said, can you go down there and get him to leave? I'm at work. I don't get off at 2 o'clock. So I go down there, and my, I left my friend at his house. He was still cutting the grass, and I go down there and knock on the door. And my girlfriend comes to the door. I was like, hey, what's going on? And she's like, oh, nothing. I said, well, I said, what's, is Zach and Mark here? And I was like, yeah, they're out back on the back porch. And I was like, well, look, you know, Matt called me. He wants me to get him to leave. And, and she was like, yeah, Matt's worried that Laura's gonna cheat on them and this and that. And I was like, yeah, I know. I said, but I don't want to go nowhere with them. But I was like, I'm gonna try to get them a leave. So I go to I go to the back deck. I was like, hey, what y'all doing? And I was like, oh, nothing. We're just hanging out. And I said, well, I know y'all ain't supposed to be here. Her parents ain't home. Y'all shouldn't be here right now. You know, y'all should not need to leave. And I was like, well, we don't really want to go. I said, well, look, why don't y'all come with me and Chris for fixing to go get something to eat? So I said, why don't y'all meet me and Chris at, at Burger King? And they said, okay, um, all right, we'll do that. I said, okay. So I left, I get in my truck and I drive back down to my friend's house and I go inside. and He's getting out of the shower, getting dressed. And while we're talking, I hear a, a sound system outside. He's like, man, who's that? I said, oh, no, no, it's probably my brother and Mark. I told him to meet us at Burger King. And he was like, man, I don't really want to hang out with him. And like I was saying, they, they kind of hung in a different crowd, So he didn't really want to be hanging around with them. He didn't really like my brother or Mark that much. So I was like, well, look, I said, look, we ain't going to go. We just need to act like we're going. So just, just play along. He's like, okay. We go get in my truck, and I tell them, I said, y'all going to Burger King. I'm going to meet y'all down there. So we leave out, and I'm following behind them going to Burger King.
1: What I found incredible about Jeremy's recounting of this particular day was the amount of detail that he actually remembers. Now, we've, of course, spoken about this before in the past, but more so about people not remembering events from specific days. Now, this is usually because you hear the same thing. It was just an ordinary day. Of course, this day would go on to be anything but ordinary for Jeremy, his brother and their friends. And I thought about this. I'm like, I wonder how he remembers so much detail. But then, as the story progresses, we find out that the boys would be at a police station only hours after this event occurs and would have been asked to recount their day again and again and again. And Jeremy remembers the detail even down to what he ordered from Burger King that day. So we go on down there, and like,
2: I go in, and sit down to eat. But well, when we go in, I'm the only one to order anything to eat. Uh, my other friend that I picked up, he ate while I was down there at their house, getting them to leave this house. He said, well, I already ate while you was down there. I was like, all right. So then my brother and his friend, Mark, they didn't eat because they didn't have any money. They had spent their money on the previous night, so I had some money, and I bought me something to eat, and I sent them what I ate. I had three, five-piece chicken tenders and a fry and a drink on the dollar menu. They had the dollar menu back down with inflation nowadays. You can't get anything for a dollar, but <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I got those, and we were sitting there eating and um they're playing a little i don't know if you remember the little game on the old nokia phones little snake game yeah yeah, yeah. and they were playing it on the phones and my, my friend from work you know that was at work he called me matt he called and said hey so i got up from the table and walked off and i was like hey man you owe me i'm sitting there eating with these two knuckleheads that we ain't even they're not even eating they're just sitting there they ain't even got no money so i got off the phone i go back sitting sit there so i said what y'all fixing to do after this and uh my brother's friend mark was like well uh I thought he said he had baseball practice or something later like that evening. I'm not really sure. At this time, it's probably like one o'clock. So we leave and we're leaving Hugetown. We're headed back towards Pleasant Grove. And um, we ride over by the baseball fields. And like where you turn in to go past the baseball fields, is kind of a dead end. Um, like you go in, there's a lot of practice fields and stuff. And there's a subdivision back there, it makes a big loop and turns around and comes back out. So I'm following behind him. And we go past the, the, the practice fields. And he didn't turn in. And I was like, well, uh, there was some younger kids, like 12, 13-year-olds that were playing, and the older kids had the fields later, so I just assumed he was just going by because it was just younger kids and he didn't want to stop. So I, I'm falling behind him, and we turn left to make a little circle to come back out and I go around a curve. And next thing I know, he slams on the brake. I'm driving a big truck, so I slam on the brakes, but I can't stop. I have to swerve off in the grass and almost hit him. And I don't know why he stopped. At this point, I don't know why he stopped.
1: So Mark and Zach are now in the lead vehicle with his brother Jeremy and his other friend Chris following. Jeremy says that he had to stay with the boys because he had promised his friend he would keep them away from his girlfriend's house until he'd finished work. So this is why he is continuing to stay with Mark and Zach. They're on the way to the batting cages for baseball practice. And on the way, Zach says the plan was to pick up their friend Jesse... And Jesse lives in the same street as the Hill family that Mark has been having issues with. And this is where everything would come to a disastrous conclusion.
3: Like I said, we're going towards the baton cages, okay? The baton cages are in the complex, and Jesse is on his little softball team or something like that. And Jesse's still right there. He's cutting grass. That's the friend we was gonna pick up to go to the bagging cages. So when we stopped to pick him up, he said, "Come back in a minute." So he circles the block again. Like I said, I still didn't know this guy lived right here on this. When you turn the block, he lives on this corner. Okay, so when we turn, my brother's behind us in his truck, and then I don't know who looked back or something, but Mark said, "There goes Jimmy." And I was like, "What?" So he pulls over, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" My brother almost rear ends him. He runs off in the grass behind behind his car, or ran off somewhere right down the road and Mark gets out and confronts the guy. Well, the guy's got a landscaping timber in his hand, like a 4 by 4 but it's, like, rounded at the edges. He's got that in his hand, a big old piece of wood in his hand, but I thought it was a landscaping timber, but I could be wrong. He's hollering
2: back behind my truck, and I'm like, who's he hollering at? I'm asking my friend, I'm like, who's he hollering at? Like, i don't know. I don't know either. I'm looking, I'm looking, I don't see nobody. And then finally I see a guy in my rear view, in my side view mirror, the driver's side, I see a guy coming up the street, Looks like a landscaping timber. It's about um, you know, it's the kind of timber that goes around. I don't know about over there, but like over here, they're using around flower beds, uh, mailboxes, stuff like that. It's like a three by four with rounded edges, probably about three or four foot long. He's got it in his hand. He's coming up the street at like a real fast paced walk, like long strided walk, beeline straight towards
1: us.
0: You have one minute remaining.
1: And that's all we have time for. But coming up in our next episode, Jeremy, Zach and Mark get into an altercation with Jimmy Hill. It's an altercation that would leave Mr. Hill dead.
3: I hit him in the head. I didn't mean to kill him. You know what I'm saying? I didn't mean to do it. And I don't even like talking about it for real because I get upset. No, I I, I I completely understand that.
1: I don't like getting upset, especially in here Yeah, of course, Yeah, I I understand that for sure, mate And the 911 call that was placed by the neighbours One of which would become the key witness for the prosecution A witness testimony that would seemingly become a lot more detailed The closer they got to trial (laughs) Next time on One Minute Remaining One minute remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production, created, hosted, and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of ESA.
0: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials?